Hi, and welcome to the Emerging Technologies Horizons podcast. I'm Arun Serafin, Executive Director of NDIA's Emerging Technologies Institute. Uh, today joining us is uh, General Guy Walsh, the founding executive director of UTSA's National Security Collaboration Center. And we're right here at the Collaboration we are Center here. as part of the Science and Engineering Technology Division's annual meeting, which we're holding here at UTSA's campus. I've been doing a series of live podcasts here. Uh, Guy's the uh, uh, progenitor of this facility and, and, and gave us a great opportunity to hold our division meeting here. Thank you for that. Oh, very the well. The other thing, we'll get to this at the end of the podcast, Guy is about to join the NDIA team coming in as our new chief operating officer and uh, congratulations on that. Thank you. Big loss to UTSA, a big win for us. So we'll talk about that uh, uh, later. Absolutely. So uh, as we get into this podcast uh, here at the, at the division meeting, I think one of the things that we've been highlighting in the podcast we've been recording here is the fact that, you know, this conference is really focused on the mission needs that the department is facing, particularly those of U.S. Northcom, and how the science and technology community can address some of those mission needs. Um, and so I think that's something that you've been working on your, your whole career. So can you give us a little background for the NDIA members who are going to get to know you over the next few years? Tell us about your background, your military career, and what you've been doing here at UTSA before you're joining us at NDIA. Very good. Thanks, Arun. First, uh, again, thanks for the opportunity to join uh, with the group here for the podcast. Uh, so, so from a background perspective, I would offer that the majority of my background was on the operational side of the house as opposed to the strategic or the uh, policy making. Uh, and I think that is what has given me some advantages over the years. So uh, again, Air Force Academy graduate, uh, came out of there, went flying over in Europe for about four years, uh, spent some time at the test center. So very diverse in terms of my flying career. Uh, out at the Edwards Test Center, converted airplanes at that time from uh, an F-4 that many folks uh, uh, on the podcast may remember, uh, but a great airframe for its time. Uh, and then after that went into the A-10 Thunderbolts. Uh, flew that, got to fly that for about a quarter of a century. And so the opportunity of being part of that, the close air support community, uh, also gave me the opportunity to spend a lot of time uh, with the ground forces. Uh, and so a lot of my assignments of going to uh, Leavenworth for uh, Command General Staff College uh, and going to uh, joint schools and doing a National Defense Fellowship. Uh, so that diversity of changing career fields uh, uh, throughout that. That was for about a 23-year active duty career. Uh, following that, I had the opportunity to go on to the other side of uh, the forces, which is the reserve side, the National Guard. And so I was a uh, wing commander of the Maryland National Guard uh, and had the opportunity to do that. So the, the guard guys call me the active duty guy. The active duty guys call me the guard guy. Uh, and also while I was there, I had the opportunity to move from what I'll say is, uh, uh, you can't say A-10 fast mover, but from the single seat type fighter type and attack type community uh, to fly the C-130 and to learn about some of the things that are done in the airlift side of the house. Uh, and, and opportunity to do that. And then probably the, the magic day came when uh, um, uh, General Gary North uh, met with me down while we were doing an exercise in Florida uh, and said, hey, guy, um, I'd like you to become the initial wing commander to stand up operations in Kandahar, Afghanistan. This was during the surge in 2009, 2010 type time frame. Uh, and so in 2009, was given the opportunity to stand up the 451st Air Expeditionary Wing. Uh, we started with about three airframes with uh, a few helicopters, uh, a few C-130s, 
uh, and several UAS uh, uh, drone type operations. And we grew it to nine different platforms over 90 aircraft uh, surveillance. We brought down the A-10s to do close air support, uh, significantly increased a lot of our fleets there. So the opportunity to stand that up and be one of the first uh, uh, wing commanders from the Guard to go on to active duty and do that since World War II was a great privilege to do that. Coming back from there, uh, was uh, uh, I had worked previously as the Chief of Air Operations at U.S. Central Command uh, and uh, sat down as the uh, next to General Keith Naka, uh, uh, sorry, General um, Keith Alexander uh, for several years as we were doing a lot of the Operation Southern Watch. Uh, and oh, by the way, when I was the group commander uh, at, um, sorry, when I was the wing commander, at the Maryland National Guard, my airlift group commander was a young gentleman by the name of Chris Inglis. Yeah. Uh, so between the two of those now who eventually became, when I came back from Afghanistan, were the director and the deputy director of the National Security Agency, uh, they asked me to come on board there. Uh, I initially said no, uh, very simply, and said, I'm not an intel guy and I know nothing about cyber. And General Alexander said very succinctly, he said, you're not coming here to learn cyber, you're here to teach people about war fighting, about war planning, execution and change the culture from being support to operators and over the past 10 years to watch what that community has done uh, and it's the community that did it uh you know but really to change into the warfighter attitude the warfighter approach building cyber mission teams execute and training uh has been huge had that opportunity to do that for general alexander for admiral rogers uh and general paul nakasoni who announced his retirement and uh, worked closely with uh, General Hawk, who is now about to become the uh, new director of the NSA and commander U.S. Cyber Command. Uh, and following that, I knew I wanted to go into academia. Uh, did my first interview with uh, Mark Welsh at Texas A&M. Uh, my boss got that job and it worked out great for Kevin McLaughlin. Uh, and then uh, was given the opportunity here by President Taylor Amy. Uh, and at that time, uh, the Texas chancellor, uh, which was, um, uh, former uh, Navy SOCOM commander uh, at, at that time. And so uh, that, that's, that's how I ended up here at UTSA. That's, that's great. I, <clears throat> I want to admit you did a pretty good job with your, with your bio there. <laughs> but he did leave out a lot of detail. So <laughs> for all of you, find a guy at our future meetings and events. Please, please grill him and color <laughs> in some of the details of that introduction. But thanks for joining us today. Um, thanks, so Aaron. we're sitting here today in San Pedro 1. Uh, and that's the, the National Security Collaboration Center. Um, and that's a building that, you know, you, you helped envision. Maybe you envisioned it. You, you started to put this together. Tell us about the, the center, this building we're in, what, you, what your goals were for it, and what's happening now, what your plans are for it. So let me go back and start where the credit is credit is due. Is first, uh, Admiral McRaven, who was the chancellor uh, of Texas uh, system, UT Systems at that time, and President Taylor Amy, and at that time, uh, General Mary O'Brien, now the J6, but previously was here in San Antonio. Uh, the concept of the NSCC being established, but being established here in San Antonio, in Military City USA, adjacent with 16th Air Force, uh, adjacent with Army North, adjacent with NSA Texas, uh, all of those type of things. So, so the decision to put that here uh, was a significant decision. The decision in terms of raising the dollars for this facility, because again, uh, you know, uh, vision without resources is hallucination, right? So, uh, but but that came from a combination. So first of all, the city of San Antonio, Bear County. You know, I find so, that offensive being from <laughs> Capitol Hill. Okay, <laughs> but but to the to the point uh, is the city provided this location, 
And if you could look behind the box here, across the street is City Hall. So Mayor Ron Nuremberg walks over for our eatery, our restaurant that's sitting here in the building. Uh, we have the Bear County judge across Caddy Corner from us, Judge Sakai, and his predecessor, Judge Wolf, who set aside the property to say, hey, great cities need great universities. So the idea of putting the San Pedro One facility, uh, which is a combination of the National Security Collaboration Center, but equally important, the School of Data Science, and we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, here was huge. The UT systems and our new chancellor, Chancellor Milliken, and the advisory board were the ones who funded this. So a lot of the dollars to build a, a facility that's an over $90 million facility. Uh, so it's that combination, that team. That all happened well before I got here in terms of making that happen. And so when you when you build a facility like this, I think what you're trying to do is focus in the efforts of the federal community, the state community, the local community, like you're talking about, and bringing together industries, universities, uh, small businesses, defense, commercial. Well, why do you think that's so important? Why is this a good place to try to do that? Yeah. So so let me start and just uh, not to correct you because this is your podcast. Ah. But the, the facility itself, again, it's part of a university. and And so first of all, it starts with the design of this building. So we had the, the, the design. So we put out, it was uh, August. It was, I got here in July. So it must've been August of 2019. We put out the bids for proposal and we walked out in front of uh, the group, about 200 people. Uh, it was about 120 degrees in the room, standing room only. And uh, we had uh, uh, our um, uh, chief who had just uh, from the university, uh, uh, Veronica Salazar had put out the task to say, we want to build uh, the most amazing, uh, up-to-date, fifth-generation classrooms and work areas for our students. My boss at that time, Dr. Bernard Arulanandam uh, from research, talked about uh, the, the uh, laboratories and the research that we were building into this facility. I was the third speaker, and I simply got up and said, if you came here to build classrooms and research facilities, you're in the wrong place because this will be the most complex facility on any campus in the United States. That's the part, and I think we'll get into that in terms of dual use facility, in terms of being able to have uh, classified workspace. In terms of being, number one is, the university had never had a LEED certified, the, the uh, energy efficient buildings. I said, if we're gonna work with the government, we better be LEED certified. So this is the first LEED certified building for the university. Uh, the location we already talked about, but that, that was all part of that planning. The actual design of this facility was done primarily uh, through the vision of our deans, of our professors, of our center and institute directors. Uh, and I will simply say that, uh, you know, the, the design team uh, that was Jacobs Overland and then the build team that executed that vision to bring it to what we're sitting in today uh, was Whiting Turner. And so by listening very closely uh, to what the deans, the professors and what we said in terms of the design of supporting the, the ecosystem that you just brought up, uh, brilliantly done by Whiting Turner and the design team. So so again, all credit to the folks who be able to bring that to bear to the building we're sitting in now. So then talk about a little bit of the, the specialness of the building. What are some of the unique features here, uh, facility-wise, people-wise, that you might find if you're if you're coming to work at them? So, so I'll tell the first thing again is uh, as we grow to become the largest university in UT systems, the first thing is how do we get, we're at about 35,000 students now. How do we get to 45,000 students? How do we become bigger than UT in Austin? Uh, some folks have heard of UT Austin and some folks haven't heard of UTSA. So how do you do that? Uh, so the first part of that is we have to have wow factors, okay? Uh, the first wow factor when you walk in the front doors of this facility uh, is you're gonna see our security operations center. 
a world-class security operations center. Most people bury that in the basement. You don't get to talk to those people. Uh, ours, uh, and, and for those, we have smart glass all along the walls there, and you'll see it's, it's, it's about 10 times larger than our previous security operations center. Here's the reason, is you have the operational area where the folks who run the security operations center are. But we're a university, so what do we want to do? We want to teach people about security operations center. How do I run a security operations center? How do I build the playbook? to do that, exercise, train, and do those things. So we build what I'll call that classroom space right next to this, where we're gonna train people. If you get ransomware, what do you do? Who do you notify? What do you do technically to the system? But who do you have to talk to? What does the university president need to know? What does the ISAC need to know? What does the city of San Antonio need to know? What is that information that could be shared? The third part that we built, and this is why it's large also, the last piece is what I call the, uh, and, and from an Air Force, the Wing Operations Center the current operations center, those things. So when you want to take this facility, and if there's a major crisis, a merger emergency, uh, call it hurricane, call it those things. At that time, we're not worried about professors and students showing up for class, right? Everything that's canceled. So that's why we wanted to develop this uh, place where the mayor, the commander of 16th Air Force, the commander of Army North could run operations out of this building. So it's agnostic to whether that be a federal entity, the city entity, or Frost Bank directly across the street here. Uh, so that is the, you know, the first feature that we have. Uh, we're sitting behind a portal right here. Uh, the portal's pretty neat because hopefully you'll have the opportunity, but with a little bit of software and a, an iPad, uh, you can project your 3D image here. And so we could have uh, David Norquist from NDIA do a presentation to the classroom right in front of us here on these stairs, uh, real time, see his audience uh, and do that. And that's regardless of whether David's in Washington, D.C., in France, or in Australia. Yeah, you've got your UTSA Roadrunner, I guess. Running we do. He's running around right in the box right over here. Right, so. right. Uh, and I noticed upstairs a, a lot of collaboration space, uh, all wired up to do networking and things like that. Um, and like you said, you, you're going to have controlled spaces as well. Um, so, but sh this is still a university campus. There's a tradition of academic openness. And so how are you gonna balance the classified versus unclassified information and, and the people that have to come in into this kind of space? Yeah, so uh, I will tell you the first thing is we had two uh, important pieces there. One was uh, in, in terms of the security of our federal partners, US citizens, those type pieces there. Number two uh, is we wanted to encourage uh, and make happen research by our foreign partners, by our international students, by our international researchers. That's been the success of the U.S. all along, right? I mean, if you look at some of those relations with many of our foreign partners, okay? And so we have actually specifically designed areas uh, within uh, our data center uh, that are meant for international programs, international projects, uh, and we do that. And the areas where we need to have a higher level of, uh, whether you call it security or protecting intellectual property, right? Because we're talking industry here, uh, we have those areas. So we have separated those out and been able to encourage both. We don't discourage at all our diversity of thought and our international partners. Yeah, I mean, you could you could argue that the DOD's modernization innovation efforts are as bad as good as they can be if you're only going to depend on those super secure facilities and those people that we're super trusted to work with. And that one of our advantages is opening up the doors uh, to other people working with us that's a huge advantage that the U.S. has over some of our competitor nations who aren't don't have the same ability to attract people to come and work with them. 
Um, how, from an NDIA member perspective, are you going to similarly, you're probably going to be dealing with a lot of corporate proprietary information. How are you planning to deal with those kinds of, those kinds of issues? So, so first let me talk, there's, there's a technological piece and there's a policy piece there. So on the technology piece, uh, I would offer that our Dell data center uh, that is on the third floor of the facility here uh, has, uh, through micro-segmentation, through physical security, through digital security, has created that opportunity. Uh, in fact, if, when, when we go up there, if you look at the pictures, you've probably seen a couple of the Dell data center. Uh, we have what I'll say is our a lot of our um, uh, primes that we have helped to develop this. Obviously, uh, with with the relationship between UTSA and Dell, Dell Technologies and Dell Federal has been a longstanding relationship. Uh, Jeff Clark, the chief operating officer, UTSA graduate. Uh, but but having said that, uh, that investment up there. Uh, really is looking at having the front office is what I call our showcase. And that is where a lot of our NSCC partners and our school data science partners are going to showcase the newest and greatest in terms of whether it be, uh, you know, Cisco products, whether it be from uh, Dell, whether it be Palo Alto, Microsoft, Amazon. Uh, we remain agnostic to any, just like NDIA, you know, we're not supporting one particular, we're supporting the research of, let's just say, cloud integration, cloud transformation. And we do that with all these partners. So the very front showcase is, is to do that type piece there. Uh, and, and part of that is going to be by having those type of uh, partners to be able to demonstrate, especially to our small businesses and our new innovation businesses, how are you protecting my intellectual property? How are you doing that? So that's, I'm going to say the technical part. The other part in all is, is policy. It comes down to how do you uh, regulate and how do you oversee, uh, you know, the, I'm going to say resilience of the system and the security systems and those type piece there. So a lot of people can buy some great technology, but if you're unable to put the policies in place. And so I won't get into detail on the policy, but that I would say we spend 30% of our time on the technology, 70% of the time on having the right policies to enable what technology gives us the capability to do. That's great, but but enough of this UTSA stuff. <laughs> Let's talk about NDIA. So this is your uh, first day of school picture. You're coming to NDIA. Mm -hmm. Tell us about what you're coming to do, why you're excited to come, what should we see looking into the future of your work at, at NDIA? So first, uh, for those who knew uh, Major General Retired Jim Boozer, uh, there, he is irreplaceable. Uh, I will also tell you, what, while I'm new to getting a paycheck from NDIA, I'm not new to NDIA. Uh, I've had the opportunity working uh, with uh, Dick McCann, with Arnold Panaro, uh, with Craig McKinley, with uh, uh, Hawk and others over the years, uh, both initially in helping to stand up uh, one of the divisions with the Cyber Augmented Operations Division that I had the opportunity to be the chair of, uh, of being the chair for the JADC2 conference every year since our inception of that type program, uh, have the opportunity to work really closely with the team up at Lone Star Chapter over the last year here. Uh, so you the touch Texas divisions, chapter, conferences, so. and chapters. Yeah, and, and so, and, and I'm guessing again that was part of why um, David and the team invited me to come back there. Uh, and so, and the other part of that is obviously I knew most of the staff. Having worked on the conference side, having worked on the chapter side, having worked on running conferences, so I knew what I was getting into and was looking forward to now working closer and more full time with the, a lot of the folks that I've had the opportunity, as well as a lot of the new folks I've been meeting. Uh, this week uh, over there. So, and I think it's fair to say that you know at all these events, you'd love to hear from the members about what they need, what they would like to see uh, from NDIA going forward. Yeah, we've started that. Uh, I had the 
distinct privilege of being uh, able to be part of the award team for the Eisenhower Award for Jay Raymond uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and first of all, if you haven't been to an Eisenhower Award dinner, you need to go to that. That is just a, a moving event. Uh, I had the opportunity to go there when I was a division commander for uh, General Hyten's Eisenhower Award uh, and then uh, with uh, General Raymond. Uh, so that's, I guess that's my plug for that piece there. Uh, and now you have to remind me what the question was. On that. <laughs> no, the, 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 you know, the, the leadership of NDIA, I've seen the board from NDIA yep. wants to hear from the membership, wants to hear uh, from the chapters. So that was my, we do, right? yeah, that was my first opportunity to sit down and talk with lots of what I'll say, both the industry reps uh, and to talk and meet with them uh, firsthand outside of that. So in that environment, uh, prior to that, it was very specific on a conference and getting the speakers. But now the opportunity to speak with a lot of leadership of both of our, our large and our primary, the defense industrial based team, the new and innovative teams there, uh, that will probably be the biggest priority is getting uh, getting to to hear that. Because again, that's what we, we represent, right? We're representing that uh, 1800, 1900, organizations across the board and unless i understand what their desires are for the organization uh so the opportunity to join david norquist uh jen stewart uh arun uh is just something again i look forward to i'm not there yet again i get in the car we pack up the uh, pods are in the driveway right now uh the piano gets shipped i think tomorrow we'll start our long haul across country and then uh, hopefully in the next week or two uh, be settling in. So. so we're happy to have you and welcome to NDIA. Uh, you did a good job of mentioning the JADC2 conference and the Eisenhower dinner. You did a bad job of mentioning the Emerging Technologies Conference. <laughs> which I've been, I've been pushing that all week in the room here. So <laughs> It's coming in August, end of August, August 28th to 30th. We hope that the members join uh, similar conversations to the ones that we're having here at the S&T conference about how emerging technologies are shaping the battlefield of the future, how we can move those technologies faster, how we can bring together those new teams. Uh, from big industry, defense industry, commercial industry, the small businesses, and the universities to meet and partner with the government to do a better job of delivering technologies. So thank you again for joining me today on the podcast. Appreciate your time. Thank you all for, for enjo uh, joining us on the podcast today. If you like our podcast, please be sure to subscribe on our YouTube page. Also, make sure you keep an eye out on our website and on our YouTube page for all the activities of the Emerging Technologies Institute. Thank you again to today's uh, episode of the Emerging Technologies Horizons podcast. Thanks, Arun. Thanks.